third commandment. Is it only what comes out of our mouths? Or is it more than that? How should the redeemed of the Lord live? That's the, that's the question we're trying to answer through this study of the Ten Commandments. Because I believe, and I think you do as well, that the answer to that question, how we ought to live as the people of God, is answered clearly through the Ten Commandments. It's God's way of showing us His moral perfection and what He asks from us, how we ought to live. What's it mean to take the Lord's name in vain? Well, here it is, Exodus chapter 20, verse 7. Let's read that. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Now, there's a couple things immediately that we tend to do. First of all, we all know, we've all heard, this is the most well-known of the Ten Commandments, it's just the least understood, because we separate the second half from the first half. If I were to ask most of you to quote the Third Commandment, and you... If I gave you a little head start, you'd be able to do this. You don't speak the Lord's name or you don't lift up or take the name of the Lord your God in vain. That's what most of us know. And we don't really deal too well with the second half of that, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. That's the first observation. Here's the second one, just to get us thinking before we plunge into this. What does this even mean? I mean, how wide and how broadly do you take this command? Is it just literally in the words that we speak, or is it bigger than that? Well, those are the questions we're going to try to answer this morning, and we're going to parse this apart in four ways. Here's the first way. God forbids the misuse of His name. Now, here's my challenge to you. Believe me, the challenge has been, and I've been looking in the mirror all week. That is what the Word of God is, according to John Calvin. One, one of the uses is it's a mirror. So as I'm studying this, I'm the one all week getting the knife plunged into me. So some of you who come up to me afterwards and tell me that the, the knife of conviction is in your heart, listen, quit whining. I've had it all week. And I know how it feels, right? It is hard. But you know what? It's sweet. It is grace when God points out areas that we need to take seriously and bring to Him for power and transformation. It's beautiful. But what's it really mean when I say God forbids the misuse of His name? What's it mean even in the moment as we leave this building and we live throughout this coming week and we keep this in mind, we cannot, because God forbids, misuse His name? Well, let's look at it. Look at the first part of verse 7. You ready? You shall not take. What does that mean? Friends, when you're studying the Word of God, do you stop at this portion or do you move on to the good part? Do you stop? What's it mean, you shall not take? Well, it's, there's a lot here. The word take or the word misuse, if you've got the NIV, it's a fairly technical term. And it's used in the, in the Bible in legal situations. Here it is. Ready? This word often refers to the taking of an oath. A vow. If you're married, you took an oath. For better or for worse. 
I think most of us, if not all of us, had a minister oversee that oath-taking. That was the primary witness. But your bridal party were the second tier of witnesses. Your third tier of witnesses were all the congregation, your friends and your family. They participated in your oath-taking. Oath-taking is squarely in use when it says, you shall not take. But it's more than that. The word take was as broad as life. Whenever anyone bears or lifts up God's name, they are taking His name some way. I don't know why, I really don't get this, but it never ceases to amaze me and often happens more than I probably realize. Some, for some reason, my name is often used in family arguments. I don't know why, but it goes like this. Pastor Tim said you have to. I don't get that. I don't know why you would do that. My name's not worth taking. But in that situation, it's lifted up and it's used to exercise power over another. But listen, infinitely greater, we do the same way with God. We lift up His name and we use it, we exercise it for our own means. And it was done this way all through the Old Testament. Let me give you, all through the Bible, let me give you three ways. First, in sorcery. Now, some of you, when I mention sorcery, all of a sudden your eyelids become heavy. Okay, this is really not pertaining to me. It's an antiquated concept. Sorcery, friends, is still alive and more than just through incantations. In pagan ancient religions, here, this is interesting. Now, grab hold of this. Ready? If you knew your deity's name, especially if you knew your deity's secret name, then you could invoke and summon your deity, it was believed, and exercise his or her power any way you wanted. So listen, if you knew a deity's secret name, you didn't give out that secret name because if somebody else had it, they could invoke your God and exercise its power over you. Knowing the name of your God was thought to give you his power. By the way, I don't know why, maybe it's the Spirit of God that just put this in my mind, but I just think somebody's phone's about to go off. I'm a liar. Don't stone me, okay? Sorry. That was a little cue to turn them off if you haven't, because every week it goes off. The Egyptians specialized in this. They had all sorts of secret incantations. And let me give you a little... She did that again. Renee, stop. Acts chapter 19, you ever heard of the seven sons of Sceva, the high priest? You know what these seven sons tried to do? This is really interesting. Paul, the apostle, was doing miracles in the name of Jesus. He was casting out demons. You even touched his clothing or his handkerchief. And you all of a sudden were healed. And these seven sons, they were questing for power. They wanted power in their lives. So they started going to demon-possessed people and claiming the name of Jesus. Here, let me read it to you from Acts chapter 19. I adjure you, they said, by the name of Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Now listen, you've got to get this sorcerous mindset in the pagan and the ancient world. They lifted up the name of Jesus, and in case that wasn't enough, they lifted up the name of Paul. The demon answered, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man attacked all seven of them, wounding them, and it sparked off one of the greatest revivals in Asia Minor in the city of Ephesus. 
when it says in the Bible where the name of the Lord, ironically, was extolled. How do we see this today? Well, listen, if you know anything about the modern name it, claim it preachers, or they're called positive confessionists, that believe that faith's power is released by speaking words, and often if you hear them, they're saying the name of Jesus over and over and over like a mantra in their prayers. Listen, growing up, I was taught this. Maybe you were as well. You had to answer, you had to close your prayer in a specific formula in the name of Jesus, amen. And if you didn't say in the name of Jesus, amen, then God's not going to listen to your prayer. Somehow I was taught that. I needed to have that corrected in my life. It's as if Jesus was equivalent to producing a hall pass or rubbing a, the lamp or saying the word please. You get that from John 16, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. And somehow that ingrained itself. There's a formula to praying, and you've got to learn that formula, and the Pharisees taught this. You cannot lift up God's name for own for your own selfish use. But there was there was more than just sorcery. This was seen in false prophecy. Have you ever known anyone? who has come up to you and told you that the Lord, seriously, the Lord told you, told them to tell you something? Have you ever had that happen? Friends, what do you do with that? Well, I've got the whole weight of God's authority behind me now saying this. And you've got to really listen. You've got to take this as if God himself were speaking to you. I'm his ambassador. When somebody does that, there's power in those words. And if we're not discerning, then we could certainly be led astray. We say it like this, I prayed about this and God told me to say this to you. False prophets in the Bible would authorize their lies with this, thus says the Lord. They put God's stamp of authority behind what they were saying and here's what they did. They sought to use God's special divine name, I sought the Lord or thus saith the Lord, in order to advance their own agenda. That's how false prophecy works. You've got to have some authority greater than yours to stamp what you're saying as being valid and genuine. That's lifting up the name of God in the wrong way. By the way, friends, in history, God's name has been used in this way, everything from, in every way from the Crusades to the slave trade. And the results are almost always disastrous. So how is, how is God's name used in vain, in oath-taking, or false prophecy? Well, I've just explained some of that in sorcery as well. But here's that third, the oath-taking. It was common in the ancient world. You know how they did oath-taking in Genesis? Here's Abraham to his chief servant. He says, put your hand under my thigh. Can I be blunt with you and honest with you? The reason they did that was to be close to the loins where life emerges. You're taking an oath now based upon life. Put your hand under my thigh that I may make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of the earth. Aren't you glad we don't take oaths like that anymore? Later, when witnesses needed to confirm their testimony, instead of swearing at a Bible, they lifted up their hands. This is how they did it in, in the Bible. And they swore by the name of God. They would say, as Jeremiah points out, as the Lord lives. That's an oath. You lift up God's name in order to prove that what you're saying is true. We say it this way, I swear to God, I'm telling you the truth. That is 
false oath taking, taking God's name in vain. Why? Because here's what James says. Above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no, no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. See, the problem came when people took an oath carelessly or passionately, but then they proceeded to lie or not uphold the truth, which is why Psalms tells us the one who keeps that we are to keep our oaths even when it hurts. We are not to misuse the name of God, but this commandment, friends, has far more in store for us. Here's the second point. God forbids the emptying of his name. How does that work? Parents, it's often difficult, isn't it, for us to agree on what we're going to name our children? I mean, come on, let's, let's, let's be real about this. We look through baby books. You know you did this. You get on the Internet now, and you look up baby names. You look at what they mean. You, then you, you speak them, and you try them in various combinations out loud to, to see how they're going to sound. Then you think through potential nicknames that mean kids are going to come up with, and you even check on the initials. What do the initials spell? We don't want to make a mistake there. They'll be traumatized for life. You know, one set of parents that I know from our church found naming their child profoundly difficult. In fact, listen, you know the hospital's not going to release your child from the hospital care until you find a name. And this couple couldn't find a name. I was finally called to their hospital bed to pray for them. Three days went by. And they couldn't come up with a name, and every time they tried, they would get an argument. <clears throat> Names are important. And God thinks so too. And look what he says in this commandment. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. You know, there was a fight that broke out one time in ancient Israel. It was a fight between an Israelite and a Israelite or a person who had an Israelite mother and an Egyptian father had mixed blood. And they got in an argument and they got in a fight, and all of a sudden the one with mixed blood, the Bible says, blasphemed the name and cursed. God himself intervened and instructed people of what to do. He said, Put the man in custody. And then bring him out, which they did, and all the witnesses that heard this man blaspheme the name of God and curse, put their hands upon him, in other words, transferred upon his head his own sin. Then God commanded them to stone him to death. It's a true story. It takes place in Leviticus chapter 24. God cares about his name and friends listen the story that i just told you has inspired jews for millennium to this day to severely guard the name of god and in fact devout jews would not even pronounce the name that's found in this commandment they protected it from irreverence it became a capital offense you could be put to death to even utter the name that's found in this commandment, which is Yahweh. The only exception of when a Jew could utter this holy name of God 
was one day a year on the Day of Atonement when the high priest could say the name as he entered the Holy of Holies. In fact, when the Jews copied the Scriptures, they would stop transcribing when they came to this name. Friends, this name occurs thousands of times in the Old Testament. And when they came to this name, they would remove their clothes, they would take a bath, they would put on clean garments, they would throw away the old quill or the old pen, and they would pick up a brand new quill or pen to begin writing right where they left off. They guarded the most sacred and holy name of God. Now, can I ask you a question? you have that type of love for the name of God? Honestly, do you have that? Do I have that? Do we revere the name of God and exalt it like that? When reading the Old Testament, Jews would substitute either Elohim or Adonai for Yahweh. So the practice emerged where they took the vowels of Adonai and Yahweh and they added it to Y-H-W-H, that's Yahweh in the Hebrew. They added the vowels from the other two names of God to that one, forming in the Hebrew Jehovah, which is capitalized L-O-R-D in most of our modern Bibles. Friends, Jehovah means the one who is self-existent. He is the I am who I am from the burning bush who possesses life in himself. No one gave life to God. He possesses life in himself. No one named God. He's always had these names and reveals himself in a personal way so that we can know him. And the name of Jehovah expresses his essence and his personality, the fact that he is eternal and unchanging. Now listen, if you haven't heard much yet in this sermon, here's where I want you to dial your mind in. You ready? What I'm about to say is important. In the Bible, names were not labels. They represented all that a person was. Let me prove it to you from 1 Samuel. Let not my Lord regard this worthless fellow Nabal, for as his name is so is he. His name meant folly. Nabal is his name and folly is with him. You know what's so interesting is that the man, the one who's speaking is Nabal's wife who's trying to protect his life. She knew her husband. And as his name was, he was. And to this day in Orthodox Judaism, if a, di- if a person is dying, sometimes, I'll get this, sometimes, their friends will change their name in hopes that a new name will bring health and a new life. There's a lot of power in a name. And God's name represents His entire reputation, His whole identity. When we speak and lift up the name of God, listen, we're, li- we're lifting up God's reputation, who God is. And by the way, we all understand this. And I I could show you this in one popular slogan that we use. He made a name for himself. He made a reputation for himself. Who he was, was created through his work. The Bible echoes it. A good name or a good reputation is to be chosen rather than great riches. Would you take a good name 
or a million dollars. And then change his name. The level of sin in this congregation is unbelievable. That has brought us to unparalleled depths. You would might take the money until your name has been slandered. It's demeaned. You might take the money until your business is represented by the name that you hold that's on it, and all of a sudden people are saying bad things about your business. God has made a name for himself, and it is seen through all creation and all redemption. Here's what Psalm says. Yet he saved them, get this, for his name's sake, that he might make known his mighty power. So he saved Israel, extracted them out of Egypt for his own reputation's sake, that he might show them and make known his mighty power. God's power is made known in his name. To fear God's name, friends, is to fear God. To love His name is to love God. To proclaim it is to proclaim His deeds. To trust in His name is to trust His loving care. So Psalm 33 can say, For our heart is glad in Him. Why? Because we trust in, we would say, God. The Bible equivalates it to in His name. You trust in His name, you're trusting in God. His name deserves as much reverence and respect as he himself deserves. And friends, look what it says. He will not allow it to be taken or carried or lifted up or misused in vain. What's that mean, in vain? Can I tell you what the Hebrew literally means? It means to reduce something to unreality and nothingness. We may know that it means to empty, but it's more than just empty. It means to empty and reduce until it's nothing. There's no significance. There's no speciality of his name. It's been reduced to the level of the common, the secular. It's to empty God's reputation by taking his name in a thoughtless, insincere, frivolous manner. The second commandment forbids us to reduce God. This is last week's commandment forbids us to reduce God in a thoughtless, insincere manner by creating images of Him. But this commandment forbids us to reduce Him by wrongly representing Him in our speech and our actions. Which lends us towards the third point. God commands that our entire lives proclaim and exalt His name. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you a whirlwind tour through what God thinks about His name and what He's done with His name and what He's doing with His name. So if you could look at the screen behind me, if you forget these references, don't worry about writing them down. They're all on the website in my sermon notes. But just listen as I speak through this. You ready? David said to his son Solomon, I had it in my heart to build a house, what? To the name of the Lord. We don't use this language. Yet the Bible does, because the name of the Lord is equivalent to the person of God. But David had too much blood on his hands from warfare, so God told Solomon to build a house for my name. And the temple that he built was a house for God's name to dwell, so that among a, he could dwell among a people who are called by my name. So, so track the progression. They built a temple to the name of the Lord. And it ended up being a house for his name so that he could dwell 
in that temple and then put His name upon the people of Israel so that He could bless them. And then Jesus comes to the earth and He manifested Your name to the people whom You gave Me out of the world. And then He was crucified and He was risen back to life and He was given the name that is above every other name. Friends, that means the name of God that is ultimate and transcends all others is the name Jesus Christ. And when a person turns to Jesus in faith, look what happens. You were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in or better into the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. Friends, that means this Christian brother and sister, that in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians meaning that Christ is the name that is in all of us. We bear the name of Christ. He has put His name upon all of His people. And we carry Him into the world. Now, are you getting the, the, the ramifications of this? This means that our reputation, friends, reveals God's reputation. And when our reputation is tarnished, it tarnishes God's reputation. And when our conduct lifts up the excellencies and the beauty of God and His perfections, then His reputation and how people perceive Him is lifted up to its holy, beautiful, rightful place. Our words either magnify or reduce God's perceived character. You know, I learned this from my own earthly father. My dad built churches and homes and barns and schools all over New York State. And he was never fired except for one job. It was a Darrow farm and it was a pole barn. And this was a very difficult to please man. And I'll never forget that no matter what my father tried to do to mollify and pacify Mr. Darrow, there was no Thing that he could do until finally Mr. Darrell fired him from the job. It never had happened to my dad before or since, and it devastated him. Why? Because his reputation was brought down and reduced, and his reputation and his honor was everything to him. And so when we live in a way, friends, who bear the name of Christ and we bring God's reputation down He is devastatingly angry and he jealously guards his honor. The Old Testament says that God saved Israel for his name's sake. He has saved us for his name's sake. Why? That we might make known his mighty power. He has put his name on us and we are to make known God's perfection. The New Testament puts it this way, you're a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. How we live, how we speak, how we entertain ourselves has everything to do with what we do with God's name. It is far more than just profanely using the Lord's name in vain. It's the way the people who bear His name represent Him to the world. Friends, teens especially, listen for a moment. Typing 
O-M-G, and your text is taking God's name in vain. You are reducing him down to the secular level, the common level, to where he has no substance left. It's not just that. Claiming to be a Christian, yet living in the same way as a non-Christian. Trite lyrics that are in worship songs, these cheesy Christian t-shirt slogans, all of them reduce God's reputation down. The perfection of God comes down to the level of the common and the sacred, and we're taking His name in vain. Standing by while people are taking His name in vain, doing nothing to defend His honor. Friends, it takes God's name in vain. Would you want God to defend your honor? There's ways to do this lovingly. There's ways not to be pugnacious and intolerant and mean about it. There's ways to remind people, that's my God's name. Use it rightly. Lift it up to the glory it was meant for. Singing worship songs where we either we, either, we neither know the meaning of them or, or even paying attention to them, it takes God's name in vain. When you read the news and you see this Westboro Baptist church that claims the name of God, and then they're holding up these signs saying, God hates fags, and thank God for maimed soldiers, they're taking God's name in vain, and he doesn't like it, and he's got something in store for them, and that's point number four. God will deal with honoring, dishonoring his name. Look what it says. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Friends, this is in the commandment to give us some motivation. It's a serious thing to reduce God's perfection down to the level of the common through the way we speak and the way we act. There's a reason. By the way, don't you recoil? Isn't there something in you that just recoils when Jesus Christ is used profanely? Or God's last name becomes damned. I mean, come on. Isn't there something inside of you that steps back and says this isn't right? Well, what's inside of you doing that is the Spirit of God Himself who jealously guards His name. He doesn't like it when His name is taken in vain and reduced. It's the Holy Spirit that makes us stir in anger. God will not hold us guiltless, so Christ bore the guilt. Now, you heard that, right? Because somehow this doesn't get communicated clearly enough. God's not going to hold us guiltless is a negative way to say God's going to hold us responsible. But thank God, through Jesus, that God held His Son responsible for our guilt. And the right response when we take God's name in vain is to immediately confess that because Christ was crucified for all of our sins. He paid the penalty for all that we deserved. And he lives in his people on whom he's placed his name. And he teaches us to honor and exalt his name. There should be in all of us, Christian brother and sister, a growing desire to not participate and that which reduces the glory of God. It ought to be, we ought to be more discriminating about how we entertain ourselves. 
with movies and books and music and conversation. Studying this commandment ought to motivate us even more to humble ourselves and exalt the reputation and the person of Jesus Christ, the name above all names. But I need to be true to the Gospel. And I've got to tell you that there's bad news in the good news of the Gospel. If your Gospel's got good news but no bad news, you don't have the Gospel. And your Gospel that you think you have has no power because the good news is so good because the bad news is so bad. And there's going to be people that are going to stand before Jesus in the final day of judgment who continue to take his name in vain and empty it of significance. And here's from the words of Jesus what it will look like. On that day, many will say to me, Jesus says, Lord, Lord, which is the Greek equivalent of the Old Testament Yahweh. Did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then Jesus says, I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Let's be honest. Let's be real. These are people sitting in the pews of churches. These are people who profess to be Christians. They're professing, Lord, Lord, Yahweh, Yahweh. Jehovah, Jehovah, I am that I am, I am that I am. And God says through Jesus, I never knew you. Why? Well, the verse before that, verse 21, tells us, not everyone says to me, Lord, Lord, not everybody who professes to be a Christian will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Telling people you're a Christian yet taking his name in vain, let's just focus on the third commandment, is evidence that you're not keeping the will of God. It's evidence that you're not exalting him and his reputation to the right proportion. It's evidence that he's not going to hold you guiltless. This last week I met a new friend in the uh, gym. Comes up to me and says, hi, are you a pastor? And I said, yeah, I am. What's your name? He told me his name. Says, hey, I'm a born again Christian too. I'm fundamentalist Baptist. Hey, I came out of a Baptist denomination. That's great. Lots of good Baptist churches. And then he says, I tell everybody about Jesus. My wife thinks I ought to tone it down. She gets a little uncomfortable. But I just tell everybody about Jesus. I'm going to people all over this gym. I just got to tell them about Jesus. And by the way, I'm a King James only guy. And I couldn't help but tell him that did you know that there's a lot of Greek errors in the King James Version? Sorry, Rich. So here's the interesting thing. My new friend follows me into the locker room as I get ready to go home, and there's a guy in the locker room that I preached before at a funeral. He is a funeral home director. I've been hoping he will come to know the Lord. And here comes my new friend, all fired up for Christ, claiming the name of Christ, drops vulgarity right in the conversation with him. Listen, is swearing the end of the world? No. Claiming the name of Christ and then reducing him back down through the use of your language, he will not be held guiltless for that. Thank Jesus he's taken his guilt. And it ought to promote a motivation in him to bring the name of God to its rightful place. So that we would sing 
In the song of 131, Psalm 145, I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. How do you speak of God? Far more importantly, since the name of Jesus is on you, brother and sisters, how is your reputation increasing His? How is the way you're living, how is the way I'm living, bringing the name of God to its rightful, exalted, glorious place? You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Some of us, Lord, like last night after church, some of us might be feeling the knife of conviction right now. In fact, many of us probably are. Lord, that's grace. That's you speaking into our lives. Jealous for your name. Jealous for your honor and your reputation. Lord, I pray that we would be the people of God that lift up your name in significance and fullness. We carry it with us to enhance your reputation. To bring the eyes of the world to their glorious God that loves them. Lord, I pray that we would guard your name the way we ought. And in Jesus' name, amen.